Play up. We are not an education podcast. Insert sound effects. With just playing the Paw Patrol intro. I mean, we've started some real stinkers in the OI. Sean Alexander, Robin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Jockstrapped. As always, I am here with Jesse Lieberman and Nate Hartman. What do you guys got to say? I got to say, I'm excited for our guest uh, tonight, uh, Stacy Rost of 710 ESPN also, and the co-host of Jake and Stacy on 710 ESPN Seattle. I'm also honored you uh, finally... I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm also honored for, you finally uh, introduced us. That's all I got this morning. Right. Yeah. This morning. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed our conversation with uh, Stacy. Yeah, she was, was awesome. A good half hour. Yeah. It was all over the place uh, at first, but I thought that made it more the more enjoyable. I learned a lot about zoos. I, I, a lot more zoo information yes. than I was expecting, but yes, exactly. Yes, agreed. All but, good content. You know, who doesn't want? Who doesn't love the zoo? Yeah. So, uh, so our first Andy, our take first headline of the week, kind of a sentimental one. We got Jesse's birthday coming up. I just wanted to give him a shout yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> March 27th. Everyone set your calendar. Jesse's big into birthdays and big jovial celebrations. So I just wanted to quickly point that out. Uh, I I respect that, but I hate you. uh, And so quickly moving to the most morbid headline of the week. Uh, Sadly, I don't know how to do this transition otherwise. Great transition. Uh, Elgin Baylor sadly passing away. Um, Yeah, Seattle, you product. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we brought this up because uh, Elgin Baylor, I think, is one of the most perennially underrated players of all time. To me, the I don't. I will be the first to admit I'm not great. Uh, my view of how you judge players and their all time in the NBA is skewed compared to how you judge them in, say, baseball and football, where modern day players don't get the uh, same love. I guess you could say, or uh, I would, I would argue, preferential treatment that elder older players do, uh, like baseball. Uh, older players are much more acknowledged, maybe too much so. And NBA, I don't think they're acknowledged enough. To me, Elgin Baylor is a top 15 to 20 all-time player. Even though he didn't win a ring, he was always against Bill Russell uh, and Wilt Chamberlain. So, you know, you look at modern days, I was thinking, you know, if Elgin Baylor had, was playing in today's NBA uh, and you want to come, we were comparing him to Kevin Durant, uh, if he had been back in the day, his rings uh, would be the equivalent of him quitting and going to join Bill Russell with the Celtics and then winning a bunch of rings. So, And then I also was thinking people were comparing Kawhi Leonard to him, and I thought, you know, Kawhi Leonard has had two all-NBA teams, and uh, Elgin Baylor made it was an 11-time or a 10-time all-NBA first-team performer, which is pretty incredible. And he would, when he got hurt, he would, they would just hit their version of treatment back then was putting his, his knees in hot water. (laughs) And I was trying to imagine what Kawhi Leonard would do if that was the treatment. He put up 27 and 17 in the NCAA finals, uh, with three broken ribs. He also, he also still holds the record for most points in an NBA finals game. If what Alex Scully told me is correct. (laughs) Hell, heck of a player. Um, also, you know, 
you can't underestimate again uh he he played in the third he's he was born in 1934 so again we know about the era that all that bill russell had to put up with in terms of race and those sorts of things elgin baylor had to put up with the same sort of stuff um and uh, a real tra- trailblazer and before uh Loyola chicago there was the uh seattle redhawks and Elgin Baylor. So, you know, he's one of my favorite NBA players. I don't know why, but maybe it's the Seattle U thing, but I've always gra- I always gravitated towards him. I always really liked him, and I always thought he was perennially underrated. That's what, that is my ode to, to Elgin so, Baylor. Beautifully said. I got nothing to add, actually. <laughs> I just want to ask why LeBron James spends a million dollars a year on his body if hot water is going to do the trick. <laughs> hot water is cheap. Some might say free. <laughs> Especially if he cured his broken ribs. Just saying. Um, so next headline, another sort of uncomfortable headline. Um, Deshaun Watson, now 16 women oh coming forward, accusing him of, I think it's a combination of harassment and assault. Um, obviously, not the person you would have expected to this happening to. I mean, his public persona, he's an incredibly happy-go-lucky guy, big-time competitor, big face of the NFL or in the NFL. Um, I mean, what do you guys think about this? I was, I was sad to see it. I, that was my first reaction. My first reaction was I was sad. And then once it, I mean, my first reaction to these things are admittedly are always like, okay, well, I'm going to read the whole article. I'm not going to read the headline. I'm going to read the article. I'm going to read about it. And then once you start seeing 14, 16 women, I just started getting sad. Because uh, to me, this seemed like a guy, I mean, I remember him buying his mom a house and I remember he paid for all the workers who like lost their stuff during the earthquake. And by all accounts, just seems like a, seemed like a great guy. Like, you know, just a great guy. And I guess it just goes to show you never really know these people. It's so hard to know these people. And yeah, I'm just sad about it. I, I think when you have 16 women coming forward with like, or I guess 14 or 16 whatever the number may be, all of very similar stories. You can't, I mean, I'm all for innocent until proven guilty, but I, I think that there's, you got to start saying, Hey, yeah, I th- there's an issue here. <laughs> I, think, I think, yeah, you're, you're totally right. It's, it's just, it's sad. It's, it's terribly sad. And it's it, what's even more sad on the flip side of it too. If we take the f- spotlight off to Sean Watson for a second, it's just like the reaction in the sports world whenever something like this comes about it's it it's always an attack on the women who come out and say these things it's never a okay let's actually look into this it's always well they're just after money or well they're just now there's 16 women when it rains it pours and it all it took was one person to come forward and be courageous enough to tell their story for every all these other people to be like you know what you're you're right yeah it's time we talk about this and you know, he's a high profile NFL player, right? He's, he's going to tell them, he's going to say, Hey, like, don't say anything. Don't do this, blah, 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 whatever. And like, it's, it just, it disgusts me the response from people. And it, it, that, that makes me even more set on top of just seeing a already terrible story. The problem is in his mind, he wasn't risking everything. You know what I mean? In his mind, it was just, this is, this is what I do. I'm a whole high profile guy. This is what I'm going to do. And again, like, We'll see how it plays out, but yeah. in my mind, with this many people and all the details and whatnot, I'm I'm very much leaning towards uh, leaning against Deshaun Watson here, and 
in his mind, he wasn't risking anything because of course he's going to get away with it. Of course it's going to work out for him. And that's, it's hard to see from a guy that we, everybody had been rooting for and thinking this guy is a, uh, a true leader and a true this and that. And it's, it's hard to see. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, yeah, you know, the the lawsuit said Watson's behavior is part of a disturbing pattern. Yeah. And I would agree. I think that's I think that would agree. And I think we saw the same thing with Antonio Brown. There was a disturbing pattern of uh, abuse towards women. And I just and I uh and yeah, it's just it's one of those things. And again, whereas Antonio Brown always kind of seemed like a creep and a nut, uh even going back to when he uh like just he's always seemed that way yeah deshaun watson again as we said just did not give that vibe and even the and again everyone who listens to the show and knows me knows i'm not exactly a fan of clemson but i always thought that guy was rootable yeah was even going back to his days there so yep there we have it i just i i hope that it it uh i hope justice justice plays out in the way that it should here and that um the people involved can heal and grow and learn, etc. Yeah. Next news segment, uh, Andy. Yeah, on one last one. Um, just uh, March Madness. Loyola Chicago, back at it again, unfortunately. Taking back down... At it. Sister Jean! <laughs> the crazy thing is, too, it's not even just... That team is just good. They're incredible, incredible defensively. They have a bunch of people who don't look athletic, who are somehow. This is this was the same story, you know, two years ago, right? I mean, they had this big, white, unathletic-looking guy who was just all over the court, inside, you know. When I, and and so that's just a good team, and I don't I don't know how I didn't pick them. I wish I or I picked them in the first round, but not in the second round. So. I just same. I did not have them beating Illinois. I will say <laughs> I did I. I picked them just in the first round. And I, I think I went 26 of 32 in the first round, and I end up with four Sweet 16 teams. It is, It was all downhill the last two days. Yeah. This, I got to say, this might be my worst bracket I've ever made. I have never done this bad. It's always interesting because, like, obviously I want to have a good bracket, but I also enjoy the chaos of March Madness as well. I mean, oh, without Oral it. Roberts, I, I don't know if you guys watch those games closely, but Max Obmas, their point guard, is incredible. He led the NCAA in or Division One in scoring this this past season which i'd never heard his name before and this kid's just a walking bucket i just incredible who is the guy who just kept taking shots for ohio state and had the most open three-point game tying shot i've seen in my entire life i don't know 23 i think was his number i think he was number 14 actually uh, i don't, I don't I thought it was number four. Oh, okay oh, we all have different ideas okay, i think there was a four i think it was 24 i don't know Either way, it was the most wide-open three-point shot I've ever seen, and I'm hoping that he never sets foot on right. the basketball court again. It's a little harsh. A bit, bit much, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's a lot. It's been a lot of fun to watch. I'm excited to see what what happens in the in this next weekend and moving forward. Uh, and that is all. So we let's got. Uh, yeah, should we throw over the interview? That's all I got for headlines for the yeah, week. Yeah, let's let's bring yep. the Guest today is Stacy Ross from uh, 710. Uh, she runs Jake and Stacy. Um, 
probably the better half of the two from 11 to Most two. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's very evident. That's why we asked you on. Um, <laughs> great follow on Twitter. Great show. You should go listen. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we, we had, I mean, we want to get into a lot of things. Uh, obviously Seahawks is at the forefront of everybody's mind, but First, I just kind of want to ask you about uh, your time, your time at Seven Ten, and just kind of like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you're the the only female host currently, but I know you've you've worked there for quite a long time, and obviously you're not the only woman in the building. But just kind of like, what's it like, and how how did it get to where it is today? Um, as far as my career at Seven yeah, Ten, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, Seven Ten uh, as a whole, I I love it there. Um, I I worked for another company before then in radio, which I don't mean to disparage. Um, but I, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, wow, like this, there's, um, a ton of really cool opportunities here. Whereas in my former role, um, they were a wonderful company, but very strict about not kind of crossing barriers. So if you're digital, you didn't jump on air. If you're on air, you didn't jump into other stuff. And I found, uh, and that worked for them, which is why they did it. And it's fine. I found that 710 was much more willing to be experimental with, oh, do you like, um, digital stuff how do you feel about podcasting do you know how to edit audio do you know how to do a video how do you feel about running in the youtube page so uh they they have always really encouraged a lot of creativity which is probably why i ended up making the jump from digital to on air um but yeah uh love it there um started out as a reporter and content producer and then um initially started jumping on shows for random segments so a lot of shows will have um like a fun segment essentially it'll be like they'll uh i think uh bob Graz and tom used to have have an opinion already so i was in the office at the same time so i would jump on air with them for 10 minutes for have an opinion just to practice and then i would um go on uh cairo nights g scott at that time was running it and uh and so yeah it's just i was doing that for like a year leading up to doing the night show and then Jake and I did the night show together. And that was the first time we hosted together with Curtis. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Was it, was it a hard transition to go from like spot, like 10 minutes jumping on here and there to like a full show? Uh, you know, I think the hardest transition was learning to, for extended periods of time, talk about sports that I wasn't as comfortable with. For instance, uh, I didn't grow up watching baseball. I love baseball. I watch a lot of baseball. I talk about baseball now, but I think I never jumped on air to talk about it. So I was like, who am I to talk about this? But then you realize like, well, everyone starts somewhere. Like no one just grows up knowing how to do their job. They put work in and do it. And so that was, that was probably the only weird job. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's Juan. real quick before, before we go any further, do you like basketball or baseball better? basketball or baseball uh i like march madness overall i think i like baseball see that's the perfect answer nate because march madness is easily the most redeeming thing that basketball has going for it oh no 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 there's so much more about basketball is is oh man it's uh baseball can be exceptionally boring baseball you love baseball more when you know the history of baseball and, uh, and, and basketball is just like fluid. And I remember I had, um, Sherman Alexi, who I love was one of my professors in college. And, uh, I think he might've testified, uh, 
for the Sonics. I don't I don't remember how he was involved in, exactly. Yeah, but he, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I believe so. I know he was he, in the movie for sure. He was he's fantastic and he described uh of course he's the writer uh described basketball as poetry and i was like that's a really good way to describe it yeah it is thank you that's you redeemed yourself a little bit with that answer um yeah thank you sherman alexi also is really cool i I, that's that's really awesome you got to have him as a professor um we read him in high school (laughs) we did you are the absolutely true diary of best best book of freshman year yeah i have that somewhere yeah over there somewhere It's, um, uh, it's a hell of a book. Nate, Nate I, or Andy, I hope it's all right if I go into it because yeah, uh, before we really get into sports, because Nate started us off with where I don't know if this is necessarily where I expected us to start. I think it's kind of where I expected us to end. So I'm at University of Miami and I'm running a podcast with a couple other women, one of whom is our sports editor and the other of whom is going to be our editor in chief. And... I know my sports editor talks a lot about uh, she observed when we were talking about what the podcast was going to be. She looked at the current one that the actual university has that they put out. She points out, she goes, you know, just see there isn't a single female on any of these podcasts. They don't, in, they have yes. a weekly and they have a weekly yes. guest. Yes. And uh, I, and you said you had studied journalism. When you started studying journalism, did you expect to go into sports or did sports just kind of find you there? I actually didn't study journalism. Ah. I, uh, I I was a writer, uh, but I majored in uh, English and law societies and justice. I don't know if they have had a major like that at your college. It's kind of like poli sci a little bit. They have a lot of shared courses. Um, so I actually wanted to be a lawyer uh, and then uh, wanted to be a writer. So my first well, I had several jobs at a college that were really weird, like working at the zoo, a great time. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I still, it's like my third day and I, we have radios when you're at the zoo and someone just goes, we have a shoe in the penguin exhibit. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what world am I in right now? Also, I will die on this mountain that there is no tiger at the Woodland Park Zoo. I have never seen it to this day. I was talking about this the other day with Jake. Jake claims he saw it. I don't, I think he's lying. Um, Has to be. This is, he's pandering to the Woodland Park Zoo because he's, <laughs> he's afraid of big zoo and that they're going to come after him. Um, but I'll say it to their face. Uh, anyways, um, after that, I got a job at a startup. Then I transitioned into sports reporting from just editing and writing. So that was the long, that's a long winded answer of ended up in the, I did not see myself as a sports reporter at all. Would never have guessed I would be in sports radio. It would be like the 20th job I would guess after like, (laughs) I don't even know, a random lion trainer, but, uh, but ended up there eventually. So I love it. There you go. All right. Well, that was not the answer I anticipated. (laughs) No, that's, that's fair. Well, well I get, an awesome journey. For sure. Well, I guess then. So once you were in that, what was that experience right. like? Can you, uh, can you walk through about a little bit of ups and downs? It sounds like the, uh, yeah. the ups. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, are you guys thinking of so you're you have your podcast, but are you guys thinking of going more heavily into sports journalism for careers? We think or... Jesse should because Jesse is like one of the best reporters. <laughs> let me let me give a little background. Okay. Jesse down here in the corner. He writes for the Miami Hurricane for the, for University of Miami, and he's gotten right, like right, right. He, he's gotten like five frats suspended or kicked off of the premises because Jesse. they're because they're running parties during COVID. Uh, I don't know about five, so, but we got three, and then I got <laughs> yeah, three. I got three three suspended and uh, one one kicked off. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> 
humble brag. That's investigative reporting is what that is. Um, Damn good at it. Well, we're probably going to have very different experiences. What I have found personally is that there. Okay, so at least in sports reporting, let's talk about regardless of. Uh, well, it's hard to separate who anyone is from their experience, but I, I would guess that a common experience is that there are a lot of unwritten rules in any field, yeah. and there are a lot of, and that includes sports reporting and journalism, right? Like, there's a lot of like you have to just learn the hard way, which is the worst <laughs> when you're young and you're like, oh my god, I didn't know that it was so taboo to say that, or oh my god, I'm like little things like um at press conferences not just anyone asks the first question. No one tells you that, but it's like either the team reporter or the senior most reporter will ask a question. And it's like noticeable <laughs> when someone who isn't that person asks and you're like, oh my God, I wish someone would have told me. But a lot of moments like that. And I, I mean, they do tell you about no cheering in the press box, but stuff like that would also probably fall in line with, with like really hardcore. If you were, for instance, from Miami and you grew up watching the hurricanes and then you were covering them and maybe you had to tamper it down. Yeah. Um, that would be another thing that you would have to like remind yourself of. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I know. So my, sorry. Oh, sorry. My grandfather was, was, did they do go, go ahead. uh, I was going to say my grandfather was in the press, was a, was a journalist in the press box for the Mariners for years in the Sonic. So I knew the no cheering part. I remember hearing the no cheering part. And he he could give a crap less about the Mariners, so I always thought it was weird that he would, had to like not cheer for me. He's like, I care about the Giants, so <laughs> I was I yeah, was just gonna it, ask it. it oh, I'm so sorry, I keep interrupting people. No, I'm just, no, you don't go, Nathan. You go. Oh, I was well, I was just gonna ask if they did the same thing to you at the zoo, <laughs> make you <laughs> That's that's all I needed to interject and ask. If they were just uh, kind of like, here's the lions, like- do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, make them feel like you weren't staring at them. Don't be rude. Uh, (laughs) I will tell you about the zoo uh, very quickly, which is that it is not as fun as it sounds. You guys, you're going to think that you're going to go there. I know that I know that all of you guys are like, okay, I'm going to apply to a job at the zoo. Don't. (laughs) Don't, (laughs) She got me. I know it's like a nonprofit and they're all about like awareness and, and building these wonderful habitats over there. Don't do it. It's, it's, you go there for summer and I ran a, a, a carousel where young children get on the carousel and they don't take cash that you, they have to use tokens for the carousel. So they have to pick coins and token machines, pull the tokens out and then get on the carousel and the, they break every hour on the hour and it was a nightmare to have screaming kids like i want to go on the carousel um and then you also just work gates and you hear the same two jokes over and over the first one is going to be someone that comes up and you tell them tickets in the summer i don't know what it is now we're 17 dollars each so they'd be like uh kid tickets or less so they'd come up and they'd be like uh say it was a dad and a wife and two kids he'd be like i'll get one adult and three kids <laughs> and you have to be like <laughs> when like 20 people before him said that exact same joke it was awful that's like valeting uh, with the ferraris yes yeah, so like, Don't yeah, it. yeah and whenever there's a ferrari sitting out front they come out and they go oh can i have the keys to my car like they're the first person to say that yeah and you have to laugh every time because you're in customer service and you're like yeah. this sucks <laughs> i hate all of you yeah. Okay, well, now that we've taken up the first half talking about Sorry. nothing related to Seattle sports. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed it. Than I ever have in my life. Oh, uh, I enjoyed it. 
let's uh, let's jump into the which Andy you uh, you haven't said anything. Do you want to start us off with uh, whichever sport you want to talk about first? Uh, yeah, I just had a so I was listening to your guys' show actually today about uh, Carrie Hyde. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with the show today? <laughs> Nothing, um, nothing. It was a perfect show. Okay. I feel like that's a, like a slight of Jake. Is there something you'd like to say to our podcast? Our loyal four no. listeners that you would like to say? No, no, we had Jake seven last time. Jake <laughs> Actually, Jesse. Um, no, so I, I really like what you had to say because it does seem like the two seasons he's actually been a full-time player and gotten a decent amount of uh, the defensive snap percentage. He's been a really effective mm-hmm. defensive lineman. Are yeah. you concerned, though, that that prices us out of a Carlos Dunlap or like a Ryan Kerrigan's when it can really be a leader of that defensive line? Or do you so think I'm Kerry Hyder can be that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually going to – I agree with you on both. That like I, you'd like to have a veteran leader, but you also think that that's not out of Hyder's wheelhouse. So you're like, it's not the end of the world if they don't. I think it's possible, but you kind of want more of a sure thing. Um, I'm actually – I am going to reference Jake here who doesn't believe it would price uh, – Dunlap out, especially if they restructure someone, whether it's Wilson, whether it's Lockett, whether it's uh, Bobby, who, whatever it is, like you can find several million dollars. Um, Obviously, when you restructure, you have to commit money down the road. So it's tougher than it sounds to do. Um, The player has to, it's, it, it can be kind of messy. So say that they don't do that. It does become trickier to bring on Dunlap. Um, I, what I want more than that is for, and I, I said this during our show for a longer term solution. Like I really wish that we would have gotten a better look at, for instance, Daryl Taylor. Like it feels like since they traded Frank Clark, you've been waiting for the guy that they have where you're watching him and you're like, all right, that guy's good for eight sacks this year. That guy's good for 10 sacks this year. This guy's, and you feel like, okay, now they need to bring in one piece. Right. Um, instead what you have is like, all right, they got, uh, Clowney this year and then he's going to leave and then they're going to bring in um, Benson Mayo and Bruce Irvin but Irvin gets hurt so they have to uh, you know trade for Dunlap and it feels like these temporary solutions and sometimes they work out in the interim like Dunlap worked worked out for the second half of the year but it's it's not the guy that you got to be there on a rookie contract and there's nothing a team wants more nothing than a great player who's cheap it is like the dream of a GM to have like a Frank Clark producing at that 2018 level and you're paying him pennies on the dollar compared to your $35 million quarterback. So they don't, I don't want to say they don't have it. We don't know what Daryl Taylor looks like, but that I want to see more than anything. And I think that that could ultimately be more impactful than bringing in Dunlap or whether or not Hyder takes off. Um, but I, uh, I, I have a harder time to get back to your question. I have a harder time seeing them be able to afford another veteran edge rusher. Although there is a chance the market's been weird. Like there are receivers that are still available that we were not expecting to be available. Uh, Chris Carson, I was certainly expecting to sign for more than 8 million and not with Seattle. And he's back for less than that. So if Dunlap is suddenly looking at a number, that's a lot more like five or six, which would shock me, but that suddenly becomes doable. Do you think they over when they trade Frank Clark? Cause you mentioned Frank Clark mm-hmm. and I look at his numbers. He had 13 and a half sacks in uh, mm-hmm. 2018. Do you think when they trade him, they overestimated how easy it would be to find another one of those guys Ooh. in the draft? Wow. That's such a good question. Cause it goes to one of my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Jake and I have a good question fight when we have guests. 
uh, every time a guest says good question, we go one. Um, uh, it is a good question though, because one of my favorite all-time topics is the confidence and hubris of front offices. And it could be with players too. In this case, it would be a front office, but one of my favorite topics, uh, cause it is very, very difficult. You know what? I think that all speculation, it is a completely fair question. I think that they were in a tough spot and knew that they would be looking for what would hopefully be a long-term solution. I think what they had confidence in was that they would be able to find the answer a little further down the road, not that they would be able to, in that draft, get the replacement they needed for Clark then. So I think it was like, hey, we understand that we're trading Frank Clark and we're probably going to take a step back in the pass rush this year. I would wager that they didn't think that it would go on another two or three years and they wouldn't have that guy. I think that they would probably be surprised and disappointed to know that. Stacey, you don't know what you're doing to our podcast by hyping up Jesse. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And you're just, this is, it's, it's fine. Wow. So I mean, Jesse it's, is me. It's, we've become toxic people. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's great. Um, Andy, do you have another question? Uh, I died one or two more, but if someone else wants to go, I'm also happy to. No, please. By all means. Um, I guess sort of going off that, this may not be a great question, but do you think guys like LJ I'm Collier- sure it's a wonderful question. I appreciate that. Uh, do, do you think guys like LJ Collier and I mean, Alton Robinson had, I um, have it right here. He played 29% of snaps, got mm-hmm. four and a half sacks. I think it was last year, four sacks. Do you think mm-hmm. they could also turn into a guy like that or are uh, they just, they're just average? I'll, I don't know that LJ Collier is a bit of a different guy because he's a bit more of a five tech, meaning- in an ideal world, he's part of the reason that some other guys on your line, he'll be getting sacks, but in an ideal world, it'll be that Leo edge rusher that's going to be getting all your sacks because he's going to be your your speedy guy. Um, and he's the one that's getting paid, right? That's like the 22 million guy. Um, Alton Robinson is a bit more interesting and I think has a chance to be that, although um he was inconsistent in college. So we had Jim Nagy on, who was, um, he is the director of the Senior Bowl and also a former Seahawks scout. And he could not get enough of Alton Robinson. And he was like, I think he was overlooked because in his final year, he didn't meet expectations. But if you look at his stuff from the year before, he's like a monster. And he said, and Alton Robinson's not a small guy, uh, but he was like, he plays even longer than he is. And if you want to talk about one of the best weapons you can have as a defensive lineman, it's it's length and disruptiveness. And uh, in addition to speed, but not every guy's going to have that when you're like pushing 270. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, so I think that it's, if I had to guess now, it seems like on its face, Alton Robinson could potentially do that. And LJ Collier's ceiling would be hopefully more like a Michael Bennett and less like a Frank Clark. It's not to say he can't, but they're kind of different, different types of guys. Yeah. I saw, I saw a tweet. I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was Corbin Smith from sports illustrated, but he said that, or maybe it was Bob Condota. doesn't matter that Kerry Hyder was going to be the five tech more of the five yeah. tech guy, and that LJ Collier would slide more into defensive tackle, which where he was super effective last year. So I think mm-hmm. that is an interesting aspect is maybe putting LJ Collier in a more, in a role where he can make a bigger impact. You know, I think that is, that's a great point about that. Can I, uh, you had mentioned the guy, the guys who are going to get paid and uh, the one guy who 
keeps coming to my mind because I just bought his jersey is Jamal Adams or Jamal <laughs> Adams. Yeah. We're going to pay him, right? Like, are, are they going to re-sign him? Not? Right? How do you not? It seems like this, the, the, if you do not pay him, the only other answer, the only acceptable answer is to trade him. And you would probably, probably maybe recoup less than you initially gave up just because it's, it's not like it matters. He broke his own record with sacks. He set a DB record with sacks. He's like, what, 26, something like that. Yeah. But the NFL's weird, and they're going to be like, we don't want to give up exactly what you did. 25 um, and 25 and a half. <laughs> right, 25 and a half. So he's a tiny baby. And um, <laughs> he's, it's, he's still so incredibly valuable. I don't know that they would get two first-round picks. That, that's still a lot for a lot of teams for a strong safety. So you have to extend him. Like, in no world should Jamal Adams hit free agency. That is one of the best pieces of leverage a player can have is to hit free agency. And, and when you do that, it's you, you potentially would have given up two first round picks for two years of play. And I, that, I just lot. think that's a horrible mistake. Do you, do you worry about his uh, health? I was talking to a friend of mine who was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan for a long time. And obviously they had Paul Malo out there and they, he said mm-hmm. one of the constant talking points every, every off season was, is Paul Malo healthy? And we saw this past year he missed four games, I think it was, although he had and he had missed a couple games prior. Are you at all worried about his health with his size and the way he plays? Jamal Adams. Yeah. Uh, I Not think Paul I'd, Malo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would need to see uh, a more consistent injury history because he didn't have one essentially leading up to his time in Seattle. And with Seattle, it's like, okay, is that a result of you're used in blitz packages a lot and and maybe you're literally just playing a slightly more physical game is it freak accidents uh you know if you have all health years and then one bad year i'm gonna wait to see it's kind of like kj Wright, barely missed any time and then really struggled with that knee and then bounced back fine so you i I, i'm gonna hold off on the injury prone label for at least another season that's a that's another interesting name you just tried kj Wright. there what kj Wright hasn't gotten from i've seen any buzz mm-hmm. on Twitter anywhere. I mean, and, and we thought he was going to get priced out pretty quickly for what he brings to a defense. <clears throat> you know, I, I assume that they would maybe go look at D line and wide receiver and some of the other holes before they, mm-hmm. they <clears throat> try to extend to bring back uh, KJ, right. But, but what do you think of that, that he hasn't gotten anything so far? It's weird. I mean, I think uh, you have to say part of it's the market with the salary yeah. cap being closer to 182 than it, it was expected to be pre-pandemic over 200 million so that takes out 27 million that teams were planning to have that's been affecting guys at every position and i would imagine it's also affected older players so guys that were less sure things for teams suddenly suddenly teams are like oh i don't know do i want to do that um the other thing is kj wright continues to be underrated in part it's because he's playing with bobby wagner right it's like if you're kim kardashian's sister you're kim kardashian's sister and not like she was always kind of the star now kylie's there's a whole different conversation to be had about the kardashian jenner clan but uh i think that it's hard not to be overshadowed by someone that is a like five-time all pro uh guy um the other thing is he is turning 32 and I think that the league very quickly, like just like fans say, Oh, he's 30. I think teams and GMs do that too. Like they, they still are willing to, you know, take a chance on a guy, but 
I do think that the stigma of a player drops off at 30 is a bit overrated for certain positions. And KJ Wright has proved that hasn't been the case for him. And despite that, I think that that's also played a part. I think that's, that's a really good answer. Do we want to, as, as we tick on time here, do we want to move on to baseball? Cause it's uh, it's that time of year. Uh, I had no questions prepared for baseball. Okay, well, I do. I did have one more Seahawks question that maybe isn't really so much of a technical question, but if 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 Russell and the Seahawks, if they end up parting ways, will uh-huh. you get to be the Oprah to Sierra and wow. Russell's Harry and Megan? Yeah. I, I, so. I would be honored to do that. I mean, first of all, to say that I would be the Oprah is like, to say that the moon could be the sun like it, it, there is no I'm not even close to to being as worthy or powerful uh but I would love the chance to facilitate yeah. an interview with the two of them and be like you know were you traded or traded I don't know what the equivalent <laughs> would be <laughs> yeah or you could sit down with Pete and Silent. John because that that would be pretty that'd be pretty cool as well it'd be like yeah, a I, It'd be like an old married couple, in my opinion. Pete and John. Pete and John? Maybe. No. I think I would I would need to get them separate from each other. What I would want mm. is maybe Pete and Wilson. Uh, but 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 my preference would be Pete Wilson, then Russell and Sierra, then Pete and John. Because technically Pete's John's boss. If, if I'm John, that's I'm not true. Being, I'm not being that's as true. honest in my interview with Stacey Oprah. Man. Yeah. Pete Pete was the Pete's one guy whose car I never got to park that I always wanted to valet for. I was always curious about it. I was curious what he yeah. drove and then also what he tipped. But you know, <laughs> it'd be great if it was like a 2003 Toyota camera, right? Just something where you're like, oh. <laughs> I remember Byron I Maxwell. <laughs> Byron Maxwell drove like an 04 Jetta or something very obscure like that. <laughs> very relatable. Yeah. Um. So I want I want to jump into baseball and sure. Andy and Nate will be able to attest and i'm reading the cubs way right now i don't know if you read it but it's based it's all about theo epstein and they're currently i just got past the chapter where they declined to bring up uh chris bryant and they kept him down oh, 12 okay. days you know yep. where i'm going with this yep, for an extra yep. day of service or extra year of service time would you bring up jared clinic <laughs> uh man you know what jake is very in favor of kelnick breaking camp with the team um i you know what if i truly felt in my heart this guy can play tomorrow there's no reason to keep him down because if i'm jerry depoto my timeline starts to switch now i didn't say we start competing day one, 2022, it was, you're going to start to see the change. And in the original conversation, and I know this was pre COVID, but in the original conversation, the idea from DePoto was we're going to make the turn in 2021. If I think, if I think Kelnick's going to help that turn happen and get fans excited when they have felt kind of let down by the Mariners for years, rightfully so deservedly. So yeah, I want him to be up there. So um, I, I think that if, Depoto isn't seeing the numbers. Kelnick doesn't have, uh, he would have had, I think the fewest uh, upper level minor league at bats since something like Alex Rodriguez for the Mariners. Like it would have been a while. We're in a different time when they brought guys up more quickly. So there is a, there's some logic like numbers that Depoto can use, but man, I, I, uh, I am very in favor of just, putting your foot on the gas earlier than you were expecting to 
that's that's where I came down. I know uh, some other people in this uh, this virtual room disagreed with it, but uh, my thought my thought process also was it to me it doesn't seem as though the Chris Bryant Cubs relationship was ever repaired after that whole thing, mm-hmm. and with the most recent comments and the the already apparently strained relationship between the team, I I figured what the heck. Um, See, do you think what do you th- what do you think then? What does a successful season look like for the Mariners? Jerry Depoto and Scott mm-hmm. Service are in the last year of their contract. Yeah, we're, we're, we have all these top one hundred guys. This is more excitement than I can remember for years about it. Even with Dustin yeah. Ackley, um, what does what does a successful season look like? Yeah, you're right. It's the first time I can remember in years that someone was like, "Wonder what that roster is going to look like." I know, like right? <laughs> Log on Saturday. Um, I uh, I think that it looks like wild card content, pushing for wild card, where all of us are like, "This isn't going to happen. It's it's a year too soon." But we're kind of talking about it. And uh, what I'd also love to see is just improved stats for, in particular, Evan White at the plate. Obviously, he was fantastic at first base uh improved stats at the plate uh for kyle lewis to pick up his numbers a little bit because he was slipping kind of in the latter half of that rookie season and he was so fantastic early and and really throughout until kind of the final uh bit of it that it didn't matter but um he also started to see his performance slide a little bit started to have a higher strikeout percentage those two in particular like a successful season would be feeling like these guys are locks like these, you know what? Jerry DePoto made good draft picks like to end a season feeling like DePoto had. Uh, so he would have taken uh, so say Evan white, Kyle Lewis and say that we love the look of Logan Gilbert. That's that's three successful pieces you have in 15 plus years of awful picks. <laughs> of- <laughs> awful talent acquisition (laughs) so that to me would be also like that's what organizational success looks like let's see some of that yeah i think i think a lot of people would definitely they're gonna they're gonna use a ruler that only ends in did we make the playoffs or not or like something like that but i think you bring up a really good point of just like you know are we still taking steps forward big enough steps forward Mm -hmm. we feel like we can still see the vision and the plan and i think yeah it starts with those guys for sure well, and it changes. Like, I wouldn't expect, nor would I fault Mariners fans uh, next year for instead having a conversation that's like, hey, so um, now I'm done looking at development and I'm actually ready to expect a wild card spot. You know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. it's, it, it's like right before that time right now. Yeah. We're at about a half hour, guys. Uh, I have one more question. How's your bracket doing? Oh, it's so busted. We, uh, I had a, I had Illinois, uh, unfortunately. I know. Uh, we took Texas and uh, Ohio Oof. State, Gonzaga, Final Oof. Four. But we are still uh, winning the show bracket. So Danny and Gallant, Wyman and Bob, and us are competing as shows, and so we're still in the lead. And by that, I mean Curtis Rogers is still in the lead because he made all the picks. <laughs> So. <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that's super funny yeah. um andy nate i got nothing thank you so much for coming on we uh we'd love to have you on again you provide a lot of great insight and a lot of great takes and uh bring a lot of uh, a level of experience to our show.
After a week off for technical reasons, let's get back into our offseason preview for the Seahawks. Uh, we're about two weeks into free agency. They have done absolutely nothing with their wide receiver room. They lost David Moore, um, obviously, to free agency. So right now it kind of sits. Basically, it's it's Tyler Lockett, it's DK Metcalf, and it's Freddie Swain, who didn't make a huge impact last year. Um, obviously, they believe in him in the building. But um, nonetheless, not a, not a very uh, inspiring third wide receiver. I will say, going back to my tight end and looking at Shane Waldron, my tight end preview, I mean, um, Seahawks are going to run a lot of 12 personnel, I think, uh, more than they have in the past couple years. And so two tight ends will be on the field, meaning there will only be two wide receivers. So they're they're probably leaning in that in, into that a little bit and not really worried about getting a third wide receiver. Um, however, I, I, I do think for those sets, you need somebody. I don't think they need to spend a bunch of money. I think a lot of people are floating around guys like T.Y. Hilton, um, it's just you weren't going to pay that kind of money for a personnel group that you're not going to play as much. Um, that's not a good use of their funds. Obviously, they have a lot of other needs. Um, I've also seen people throw around Antonio Brown, which is a take that I do not like at all. Um, I'm not here for the Antonio Brown redemption story. I'm sorry. Um, Agreed. I hope I hope he gets better as a human being and he learns and he grows, but I'm not interested in having him on my football team. Um, I believe it was Dan Orlovsky who said that um, the Seahawks had to sign Antonio Brown in order to keep Russell Wilson, and not sure I can. Has Russell skip said anything that. about wide receivers? Like, what kind of take is that? No, I don't know. No, while, while remember last year, he was a big proponent of it. Russell was a big proponent. He was of signing AB. Which, he was, which but is he, I mean, he hasn't said his issues with the Seahawks or Seahawks or wide receiver related. True. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I I I don't. Again, I, that's not a move that I would I would really make. Um, I I would. There's a couple. I, again, other people have mentioned Golden Tate. I don't really know if you want to pay him to be an older slot guy when the wide receiver draft draft is deep this year. Um, he's just older, and apparently him and Russell hate each other. I don't know if that's true still, but that was an interesting storyline coming out of the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Um, two names that I would look in for agency that could be cheap, uh, D.D. Westbrook from Jacksonville. Kind of fell into, like, he didn't play much last year. I think he was hurt, but um, he had over 600 yards in the two years before. Um, he's about six foot. He's six foot. He can play outside, um, which is what you might need. And Demarcus Robinson, who was in the Chiefs system, he's fast. Again, didn't get on the field a bunch, but probably a little more experienced than Freddie Swain and a guy you'd be comfortable with as a third wide receiver. Now, there's one guy in the draft that I will bang the table for that I'm really, really excited about. And that's Amari Rodgers out of Clemson. Um, he's 21. He was a senior. He's only 5'10", 210 pounds. He, ran, he runs a 4'4", 5'40". Last year, he had 77 catches, over 1,000 yards, and seven touchdowns. Primarily plays in the slot. He had the most yards out of the slot of any wide receiver in, um, I believe, all of college football last year. Uh, he's also a really uh, strong punt returner. Um, and returner in general, uh, which is something that I feel like we've been searching for for a couple years since Tyler Lockett has kind of taken a step back from that. DJ Reed was a little bit exciting, but we watched David Moore not do much from that position, especially in punts. Uh, so it'd be nice to have a guy who can who can slide in there. Um, he had eight missed tackles forced on screens last year, in which is the most in the Power Five conferences. Which um, in Shane Waldron's system, I assume we're going to run more screens. We're going to run more 
things around line scrimmage. Jet sweeps are a big part of what McVay did. Um, Amari Rodgers would be really, really strong at that. He's got good hands, um, especially across the middle. He had a ton of yak yards after the catch last year, which is something that I assume they're going to really need to upgrade with the system that Waldron wants to run, and he'd be really good at that. Um, he's crazy physical. He did 24 reps at 225 at his pro day, um, which would be I the 97th percentile of all NFL wide receivers. That's insane. 24 reps is crazy. Um, Andy, you could do that also, right? Yeah. You know, and somewhere in that range, I would say. We know that. That's what I figured. Yeah, we already knew that. Um, that's why it goes inside. Uh, a couple negatives. Uh, he does have a small catch radius because he is a smaller guy. He has a pretty small um, wingspan, and catch radius is not huge. However, um, he is really good at catching things off balance, especially too. Bad throws, um, off-target throws, he's really good at, at, at pulling those in. Um, he also has, has kind of average foot quickness out of breaks on routes, in-breaking routes, out-breaking routes. Um, not the fastest of that, but he does get to his top speed very quickly, so he can make up for that and create separation after um, he hits the break in his route. Um, you know, Tyler Lockett played in the slot 54% of snaps last year, um, so he's a guy you want to utilize in the slot, but having a guy like Amari Rogers who can be your full-time slot guy and your full-time returner is something that's really exciting. You're, this guy, he's going to be around, from what I've seen, in big boards and stuff in the fourth or fifth round. So it's not like you're paying a high price for him. You know, you're not using your second-round pick. Obviously, we don't have a fifth-round pick anymore. Um, but I assume we're going to trade back a couple times. He could be a guy that you get in a handful of picks in the late fourth, early fifth round. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just with where this offense is seemingly going, we won't know until we see it in action. I think this guy would be really strong at a lot of the things they want to do. I mean, Seahawks have been abysmal at screens. We know this um, for years. And that's that's a part of what McVay did, uh, especially just things around line of scrimmage, jet sweeps and stuff. And Amari Rodgers is a guy that has done that successfully in college in a big program, and I think he could do it at the NFL level as well. So, um yeah, remember that name, Amari Rogers. Um, hopefully they do something soon in the wide receiver room. I don't think they need to do anything huge that we're kind of like, oh, God, like this is it. Because they're going to run more 12 personnel, but I think it, there, there needs to be an upgrade there for sure. So those are a couple guys. Is he as good as Amari Cooper? Um, of the two Amaris, I would I would probably give it to Amari Cooper. Okay, um, just check. Probably not better than Devonta Smith either. Uh, Julio Jones, you know Calvin Ridley. Um, not really at those guys' levels. Uh, just check to make sure we're on the same page. Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad we're on the same page. Thank you. Yeah. Is that all you got, Nate? That's all I got for this week. Where are we at the moment? I I just had a discussion, and somebody said uh, it's like a kick in the stomach that we are not somehow not able to sort out these rules. I feel the kick is a bit lower, uh, and it hurts more. Uh, It's not good. Agree. Well, Toto, thanks for that very uh, visual description of where you think the blow has been. You've got a very deep voice rather than the high voice, but we're all with you on that. Toto Wolf for bringing in our next segment. Formula One. I don't know if this will be a weekly segment. Maybe we can push for it. Who knows? Andy, what do you think? You're a big Formula One guy now. A weekly segment. That seems like a stretch. We could get Griffin on here to do Formula That's One. That's true. Segment. Good. So... Have any of you guys guys watched Hard Knocks? Of course. Okay. No. I have a life. (laughs) 
Okay, Nate, I'm going to start with you. Look, look, look at me here for a moment. So you have Netflix, right? Always. And this is how I first got into Formula One. Even though I worked for with Griffin for a couple of years, I first got into this, into Formula One, by watching Netflix's show Drive to Survive, which is basically hard knocks, but like way better because it's filmed during the season, and then they come out with it right before the next season starts. And oh. it's really good. And everyone should you watch it. You have mentioned this. this before. Yes. And you still haven't listened to me and watched it, have you? Nope. Sorry. Let's see, what does that tell you? A lot. Andy, have you watched it? I've watched bits and pieces of it. I, I haven't watched the whole thing. See, I just, I don't, just, don't, get, I just I don't, don't get that. I don't sit down and watch television like you do. I don't either, but I do for like when there's a show that I really like, like say, Drive to Survive. So, right. well. going into la- last season, uh, Mercedes won handily, which was their sixth, fifth consecutive win. Uh... It's getting a little old, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I would agree. But here's the thing. Everyone is saying Red Bull has done way better in testing this year, and Red Bull is the team to beat. So I was actually looking at that. Uh, Verstappen uh, is favored uh, at the uh, first race of the season. Is he really? Over, yeah, over Lewis Hamilton. So I, I don't remember the last time I saw a race where Lewis Hamilton wasn't the favorite. I'm sorry. I, I shortchanged Mercedes. As a constructor, Mercedes has won seven straight championships. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Lewis Hamilton has won uh, six of the last seven. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what to say to that. Because remember, now, do you remember that Sebastian Vettel, before Mercedes came in with their dominance, Sebastian Vettel... Won four straight with Red Bull. So Red Bull, Red Bull's not a schluffing here. And Christian Horner knows what he's doing as a leader of that program. And I think it would be easy, it would be easy to see. Uh, but it's one of those things like it kind of reminds me a little bit of college football. Where Alabama could be a Mercedes and Red Bull is kind of like a Clemson. And nobody actually knows if they really are going to compete. What do you think, Andy? Uh I don't know. I mean, Verstappen is such a good racer. I, I, I mean, I feel like he, the last couple of years he hasn't had the car to stand up to Lewis Hamilton. But as much as he is a prick, <laughs> I, I mean, I think if he has an equal car, he's he's competing with Lewis Hamilton every week. Yeah, uh, I th- I think that's a fair take. That and I also think as far as the constructor championships go, I think it's interesting is that. Uh, is Sergio Perez. I think Sergio Perez is a good driver. Again, a little bit of a prick, and uh, but a damn good driver, a wily veteran, and I think he's gonna. they're going to do good. Now, what also gets interesting is Ferrari is still expected to be pretty poor, which, for those of you listening who don't follow Formula 1 or Nate Hartman, Ferrari are like the Yankees of Formula 1. They are the most decorated team. They've won the most championships. They are the cream of the crop. Like, when you go to be a Ferrari driver, it's like putting on the pinstripes. Like, that's what you do. And they look horrific. (laughs) And I think it's kind of (laughs) funny. Anyone else think it's kind of (laughs) funny, Andy? It is sort of funny that this, you know, classical Italian car, always good at every level of racing, 
just stinks it up every week. And their prodigal son, Charles Leclerc, just can't race for crap. That guy is awful. <laughs> and maybe he turns it around, but it's, it's last true. season was rough for him. <laughs> it's true. And he's kind of, and it's funny, because kind of, they brought him in kind of like Jesus Montero. They were like, oh, we have the greatest prospect of all time. This guy is the greatest, going to be the greatest driver ever. We are the Yankees. We are Ferrari. We have the best prospect. And they gave him the longest contract in in Ferrari team history. And he, like, put four of his cars into the wall in four different races. I like how you fully acknowledge our listeners don't know about F1, so you're comparing it to every yes. other sport you can Yes, do. that's what I'm doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. And on that note, I'm going to tell you why you should care about Formula 1. Nate, ask me why you should care about Formula 1. Jesse, please enlighten me on why I should care about Formula 1. So here's what's cool about Formula 1. And it's also kind of what you can say there's a drawback to it. But there's only 20 guys. It is the most selective sport in the world. There are only 20 guys that get to be in a Formula One seat. And half those Formula One seats kind of fucking suck. <laughs> That's what's so cool about it. Ask me again why, uh, why you should enjoy it. Why should I enjoy Formula One, Jesse? Uh, crashes are fun. Seeing people going <laughs> extremely fast is fun. Uh, cars are fun. Driving is fun. It? It's like the most. The that's the most like man thing you've ever said. Like crash yeah. fun. Who was the guy in Fast the Haas team last year who uh, like came out of his car on fire? Oh my god, Roman Grosjean. Okay, if you guys are gonna watch, so Roman Grosjean last. If you look it up, Nate. As I'm talking, Nate, will you look it up? Look up Roman Grosjean crash while while I'm talking. And a big fire there as they exited out of turn three. And that looks very nasty indeed. And unsurprisingly, that is a red flag. Now, this is after turn three. And you see Grosjean, uh, one car out there. And then Grosjean to the right-hand side. My God, it's torn the car car in half. half. No wonder the fuel came out of it. So, Roman Grosjean, if you aren't... both of you guys have failed me and refused to watch Drive to Survive. One thing to wa- one thing to note is uh, if you're going to watch one episode, watch season three, episode eight. Roman Grosjean talks about being in that ball of fire. And if you watch the video, it's literally a ball of fire. And he talks about, he goes, I look to the left. I look to the right. I tried to get up. I couldn't. I saw fire everywhere. And I thought... I'm going to die. And he just, he says, he goes, I'm just like, he's just like, this is it. My life is over. And then he finally got a whereabouts of where exactly he was. And he realizes like, no, I'm not going to die today. And he talks about how he takes his hands and puts them on the like burning metal and how he can feel the like melting of his gloves just like start to corrode all over his hands and then you watch the video of him like getting out of that car, literally on fire. It's insane. Yes. And if I remember, he's pretty casual getting out of that yes! car. Yes. I mean, I'm sure it's because he's so dazed. But it, to think about the immense pain he must have been going through, that's that's wild. Yeah. Uh, it, it's insane. It's scary. And obviously, you shouldn't pitch that to watch it. But like, you should at the same time, kind of like because crashes are epic and awesome even though obviously you don't want to be like fire like that but you want it it's always fun to see a big not like a like flames but a crash into the wall 
Uh, especially when it's Max for stop. <laughs> especially when it's Max for stop and he starts swearing on the radio, which is another great thing because Formula One gives uh, their guys really good access on the radio. And here's one other thing, and Nate, I think you'll appreciate this. Are you with me? Please. Yeah. Lewis yeah. Hamilton, who's now tied Michael Schumacher's record of most championships with seven, uh, is and is arguably the greatest driver, has become arguably the greatest driver of all time, is black. And he's yeah. the first black Formula One driver in history. And it's, let me see here. 70-year history and uh, a list of championships. He's the first black driver in its history. And he came from a lower to middle, lower class background. I mean, they owned a house, but like they weren't wealthy by any means. They had to take a second mortgage out on their house to afford to get him a cart to be able to keep racing. And uh, it's very cool to see him have so much success at that level. And also, and his success, he's been very outspoken with Black Lives Matter and other things such as that. And I think he's a very cool person. I think he's a very cool athlete. I think it's cool. He, he's a lot like Tiger Woods in the way that he's done something that no one else of his race has done in that, in that sport. And uh, I think it's pretty nifty. And again, especially a sport that's as wealthy as Formula One, probably even more wealthy than golf, given the like requirements to get into it uh, in that like one of those 20 seats. Uh, yeah. And since we've basically become a sponsor for Netflix, uh, to also <laughs> pitch another show, David Levinen's My Next Guest Needs No Introduction does an episode with Lewis Hamilton. It's a great episode. It gives a lot of that information about his childhood. Yeah. Yeah, everything I've seen, he seems like a incredible person who's done incredible things in a sport where it's not historically has not been done, obviously ever. <laughs> so that that that's a good point. That is a very redeeming quality of Formula One, I will say. But there's also a lot of really wealthy white pricks. So I mean, thanks for stopping. Well, I guess Lance that's Stroll. not that Lance Stroll is the better example. The guy whose dad literally bought him the Formula One team. <laughs> yep. How does my dad get? <laughs> that's a great question. Especially, Dan is known for throwing money around. So, <laughs> well, with that, Nate, who do you think is going to win the Formula One championship this year? Constructors, and then also, uh, um, what the fuck drivers. does constructors mean? Can I just say Lewis Hamilton and just move move along? Well, if you say Lewis Hamilton, you're most likely assuming that Mercedes is going to win the championship. <laughs> I say they've done the last seven. Let's make it eight. <laughs> That's the spirit. So, Jesse, do you know when was the last time the constructor and the uh, overall champion did not come from the same team? Great question. So I actually can – I that would be 2009. It was a team called Braun. Uh, and – uh, oh, actually, no. I don't know. Let me let me see. Uh, that is a good question. Let's Google it because I'm curious. I know it's happened before. Well, so that's gonna be my. That's gonna be. I think that streak is gonna end. Whatever it is, I think Mercedes is gonna is gonna take the constructor. But I think if Valtteri Bottas can actually race reasonably, <laughs> which sometimes he can't do, so we'll see if that pans out. But I I think Verstappen might act might finally get it done. You think and so? Lewis Hamilton's reign of terror. You think Verstappen's going to become the youngest driver, uh, championship driver in history? I think he definitely could be. I mean, he's been racing for this is fourth season, fifth season. Yeah, 
Oh, the one other... Is there a Formula One video game? There is. There and, is. And players use it oh, to practice. That sounds dope. Yeah, they have, like, they have oh, uh, damn, setups. Hard. Yeah, no, they have setups. Uh, the, um, the other one is... Uh, um, McLaren, I think, can make a real push to be relevant again. The last time they won a championship was 2009 with Lewis Hamilton. And I think that Daniel Ricciardo is going to is who I think is maybe the second best driver on the circuit. I think that he, if that McLaren car takes another step forward, I think they can really compete. They might have a shot at winning some consistent podiums, which I think would be really cool and good for the sport. Having said that, is he your pick to win? No, that would be Lewis oh, okay. Hamilton. <laughs> That'd be Lewis Hamilton as long as my guy Toto Wolf is still there i'm gonna be riding with toto and uh toto and lewis toto wolf is much reminds me much like uh he's got a nick saban approach to things he he is a leader he seems to have that machine going and he's got the perfect driver for that mercedes car which is lewis hamilton so and before we wrap up the segment do we need to give a shout to williams racing because i feel like we haven't discussed them once and just give everyone a little background on Williams. I mean, they they were perennial champions back in the day, <laughs> and now like you can, the I so I remember I was looking at one race last year. Nicholas Latifi, who's one of the drivers, the worst of the two, but that's not saying a lot, um, was plus three hundred thousand, I think, to win a race. I mean, it's it's pretty much impossible given the car they're dri- driving. They may as well be driving uh, Byron Maxwell's 04 Jetta. <laughs> But the, I, you gotta love, you know, it's like the Mariners. You love to root for losers. So, they might be my favorite team. So, and I want to bring up one thing about that, especially for our listeners who don't understand this. And this is what got me to come around to Formula One, is that Formula One, ex- teams for different teams are have different expectations. Much like how college football, different teams have different expectations. Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State are the teams that are going to be competing for national titles. The teams that you can still be uh, a, let's go with a, somebody give me a good school here. Like uh, uh, Oregon. Yeah, a University of Oregon and go 12-2 and two and win a Rose Bowl and still have a damn good season. That's much the same in Formula One, which I think is cool. I think that's cool in a sport that you can you can have multiple winners over the course of the season and at the end of the season even have multiple winners. Be able to celebrate this like best of the mid-tier team, mid-tier teams, and stuff like that. And so speaking to that, I remember when Pierre Gasly won that race out of nowhere last year, and he was saying he got a call from Macron, the French president, just out of nowhere, just calling to congratulate him. So when they do actually break through and get that one random victory, it means so much to those teams that aren't expecting wins yeah it's much like again much like a big college football upset like one of those uh again a a team beating an alabama or a team beating a ohio state or whoever and so here's here's what i will say jesse when does the season start this weekend the 28th (laughs) what channel is it usually on espn i'll give it a look i'll give you my word i'll give it a look (laughs) All right, I'll give it. A, I'll check it out. Um, I will start. What is it? Drive to survive. I'll yes. start that. 
I'll get that rolling. I give you my word. I have never been in a sports segment where I did not know a single name. I didn't know it. But, I mean, Lewis Hamilton I knew. Yeah. But everybody else you were throwing out there, I was like, these are made-up people. So <laughs> I will need to check it out. I will give you my word. It sounds pretty cool. And I believe, Andy, are, are you in, when you're over here, are we going to be watching a Formula One race together? Uh, unless they have a bye week two, yeah. Oh, God, I'm worried they have a bye. Hold up. I think we could figure this out after the show. There's a bye. Way to go, Andy. (laughs) Andy, uh, word of advice, Nate. The one piece to do is you're going to be watching it on replay because the race starts at 6 in the morning usually, uh, West Coast time. So Mm -hmm. uh, for all our West Coast listeners, don't follow anybody on Instagram. Mute all the race results. Wake up. Just jump right into the race at like 10 o'clock or whenever you wake up on a Saturday morning and hit play. It's a good time. There's also no commercials, right. which is great. Awesome. Yep. Can't wait. All right. Thank you Very for listening, guys. Statement. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for everyone yeah. for listening. And a special thanks to our guest, Stacey Rost, as always. Yeah, go this- listen, to, listen to Jake and Stacey every day, 11 to 2 on 710 ESPN. Seattle, Stacey was great. You guys are great. Nate Hartman, Mr. Positivity. That was sentimental of me. I don't think Jesse's that great, but we can talk about (laughs) that later. All right. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye.